0: Okay, today's the 25th. Here's your proverb for today, verse 11. The right word at the right time is like precious gold set in silver. Lord, as we get into your word today, we um, we recognize that it's not eloquence, and it's not stories, it's not even smiles, but it's your word that does your work. We recognize that, God, it's a gift that we can actually hold a book that has the inspired Living, breathing word, so we ask God for your Word to speak to us in jesus name amen amen, amen. so we 're in part two a series we 're doing, and we 're in the book of first peter and um, if you missed last week, um, Peter wrote this book in a time where, there, where where the land he was living was ruled by a very, very bad man, a very evil guy named Nero. And um, um, he was, at the time, the culture was really severely persecuting Christians. And history, history believes that Nero burned his city for um, reasons of his own that were selfish. And then he blamed the Christ ones, Christians, for it. And what was already a really terrible environment for Christians became intolerable. It was so much worse. And the Holy Spirit spoke to and wrote, uh, uh, spoke through Peter as, as this was written to Christians in that kind of a setting. So when we read, keep in mind to whom he was writing these words, um, because the Holy Spirit at that, that point was trying to plant something of hope into people's hearts and do it over again and again. And through that, through that this reading, you're going to find this theme basically over and over that it, that it simply that this world is not your home. You're just kind of passing through. You're sojourners, you're travelers. And because this this world is not your home, Peter is teaching us that um, God is calling you to be different. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're called to be different. He's asking you to be different. You're you're different in your values. You're different in your passions. You'd be different in um, the use of your time, the use of your resources. You're a different parent, you're a different spouse, a different husband, a different wife. You're, you're different in the way that you work, and, and um, God is calling us to be different. So let's launch in 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 13, starting there, and, and watch and feel for the passion and the power that's in Peter's writings as, he, as he's writing to these hurting people. Verse 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep a clear head and set your hope completely on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Time out there for a minute. That is the same thing the Holy Spirit was speaking to us during worship today. Tell your soul God is in control. Do you see that in that sentence? And I I love the fact that our worship team they listen to the Lord and it just it's the same message right there. Um, set your hope completely on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ revealed. He's talking about talking to Christians here, verse fourteen, as obedient children. Stop being shaped by the desires you once had in your ignorance. talking about before you met Christ as a savior. Verse 15. Instead, just as the one who called you is holy, be holy in every aspect of your life. For it's written, you must be holy because I am holy. If you call Father the one who judges everyone impartially according to what he has done, you must live reverently as long as you are strangers here. Another version, um, another translation doesn't say strangers, it says temporary residents, and another one says foreigners. In other words, he's saying here, this, the world is not your home. You have a different home, you're just kind of passing through, and you have a higher calling, God's calling you to be different. And I think that the problem for, for many, many people in our culture today, maybe even many, for many of us present in this room today, is the biggest obstacle to fully following Christ is a desire to fit in. I mean, it's the biggest ob- obstacle to, f- to faith for God's children. Is, is this longing to look like everyone else? This this need to belong in in the world to fit in. But Jesus did not call us to fit in. He called us instead to stand out. He never ever tells us to blend in to the world. Instead he instead, instead he tells us in Romans 12 he says don't be conformed to the world. Instead be renewed by the, trans, the transformation that should occur in your mind. And Jesus calls followers to to stand out to be set apart to to be different in the way that we live. The question is, and it's kind of a simple one when you start thinking about it like this, why do we want to be normal anyway? I mean, really. Have you taken a good look around you and seen what normal is? It's, it's, you know, normal is broke It's, it's in bondage, it's in fear It's, it's tension, it's sleepless nights it's, it's anxiety, it's not liking your job That's what normal is Normal is, is fighting depression it's, it's just this, that's what normal is Why would you want that? Why would anybody I don't want anything to do with normal I want off of the normal road And Jesus talked about the road the normal road in pretty strong terms. The thing is that many people um, are, in fact, choose to follow the normal road with their life. And he cautions us about that in Matthew chapter 7. He says the path to life is narrow. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find that. And it's my prayer that you and I would be among those few, you and I would be among those whose passion would grow in our hearts, that there would be more and more and more people that choose the path that leads to life. It's not the normal path on which most people are traveling today. God's calling us to be different, to be set apart. Now, just in case you're new here and you're wondering if the pastor here thinks he's perfect just ask one of the other people sitting next to you who's not new if I'm perfect and they'll tell you the truth. No, I'm not even close. Um, and and I'll, I'll, here, I'll, I'll give you an example. Here's a story that I've told, I think, in parts here before. Um, but I'm going to share something at the end that's a little different, I think, than I've ever shared before. This is years ago. Lisa and I were still in the high chair stage. We had kids in high chairs in our house. You get the picture. So our kids were little. Um, And uh, it was several houses ago, and I don't remember why, but she asked for something, and so I was stepping out into the garage to get something from the freezer. It was kind of dark out there. There might have been one light on somewhere. And um, I, I heard this scratching noise. Is there supposed to be a scratching noise in your garage? I don't think so, um, and I don't know what started happening there, but I started searching for what it was. Now, I really wasn't dressed to spend much time out there. I was barefoot. It was wintertime, kind of cold in my feet, and uh, I was kind of just in and out kind of a thing, and yet when I heard that scratching noise, something happened to me, and all of a sudden, I was on safari. <laughs> I, I didn't have time to put the paint, paint in my face and to put a knife in my teeth, but that was kind of my mode. What's that scratching noise, you know? Now, it was also the, the season of our life where we had a great big dog and we were feeding him out of a great big bag of the cheapest dog chow you could buy, okay? Which, by the way, this is completely nothing to do with the message, but you might as well just pour water in the bag and dump it in your backyard because that's what's going to happen to it. Never mind. Okay, so... <laughs> There's this big bag of dog chow. That was terrible. Why do I do that? I don't know. So there's this big bag of dog chow over across the garage, and it sounds like maybe the scratching is coming from there, and it's open at the top. In fact, the bag's wiggling. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, it's, it's time to deal with this scratching noise, and um, I go over there, and I make a step and it stops and then it starts and then st- I mean it's like there's this thing going on it's like there I'm the hunter I think and uh, but there's something evil in my garage and I got closer and closer and you know um, it's kind of dark but I could see and I get up close to that thing and I I reach over to the top the bag's this tall it's all the way up to my waist you know and and it's the cheapest dog food you could buy you know anyway so um, I mean I grabbed the top and I started to pull it apart and I as I leaned over and i looked in there there was a creature in the bottom of the bag looking up at me now something happened in that next moment it was like it was like there was this quantum shift and time stopped for me not for the creature it was huge about like that so it was down there but in my mind it was you know and I swear, time stopped, and in the time that stopped, for me, it accelerated for this mouse. And up it ran, up the inside of the bag. Now, these are these wax line bags, you know, right? How's it getting traction? I don't know, but it's happening so fast, I can't even get thoughts to form in my mind. And it comes up that bag, goes across the top, right next to my hand... Down the other side. Now it's on the floor, but for some reason, it can go any direction it wants, but what does it do? It runs towards me and my bare feet, and I can still feel as it ran into my foot, it goes up over the top of my foot, down the other side. Now it's between my legs, going the other way. <laughs> and it's going for the other... <laughs> It's going for the other foot and up the top and across and down. Now, as this is going on, time is beginning to start, and the seed of a bad word starts to form in the back of my mind. Meanwhile, you know, there's something going on. My, I think it's my hypothalamus is giving a swift kick to my adrenal gland and my medulla or something, and... and Epinephrine and 30 other hormones are charging all of a sudden into my bloodstream. Now, they create this shock wave that comes up through my body and hits the back of my brain and hits that seed of a bad word like a baseball going over the fence. And that word gets blasted into my mouth and out it blasts, <laughs> propelled by this expanding bubble and it's loud and long. (laughs) And that word is still traveling in space (laughs) somewhere. (laughs) And you might be wondering, well, Pastor Terry, what was that word? I mean, was it one of the really, on on the scale of bad words, was it like way up there or just some little? I can just tell you it was probably what you would think was on the upper end. I'm not going to tell you the word, but it was... This word. (laughs) I don't know what Lisa thought was going on. She's got the high chair thing going, and all of a sudden this word comes rattling through the walls. (laughs) It's fresh experience for me, even though it was decades ago. And like, um, I, you know, it's like I couldn't stop the word out it came. (laughs) And here's my issue (laughs) with this. Here's my issue with this why I told you the story. The very same mouth that was engineered and designed by God to proclaim this precious, holy, good news just did something that was really displeasing to God, and I hated it. I know you're thinking, oh, come on. You'd have, you, you just right now, you just want to pour up some grace on me. Come on, relax, Terry. It wasn't that big a deal. I probably would have done the same. And I appreciate the grace. And that, though, is just a normal response. The thing is, the Lord didn't call me and you to be normal. As Jesus followers, we're supposed to be different. And it's great that we can train ourselves over time to not use those words. I'm still in training. Every time I get plumbing out, I've should confessed that to you before. Um, I'm, 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 and even though we can train ourselves outwardly not to say those those kinds of things or to do those kinds of behaviors, it doesn't necessarily follow that there's been this inward transformation that the Holy Spirit wants to do. And um, you know, there's this grace of Jesus thing that that just wants to take root in us, and sometimes it takes time. So let's look again at what what Peter said in First Peter one, starting verses, in, starting in verse fourteen. As obedient children, stop being shaped by the desires you once had in your ignorance. He's pointing out that there's a time when you didn't know any better. You know, you may have done things that weren't the best, and you just hadn't learned yet, but now you know better. Basically, he's saying, verse 15, instead, just as the one who called you is holy, be holy in every aspect of your life. For it's written, as God says, you must be holy because I am holy. Now, I hope you'll notice what this scripture does not say here uh, because it doesn't say something that many people want to believe that it says. It does not say be happy in all you do because I am happy, you must be happy. That word gets substituted and in in, in Western culture or Christianity, a lot of people believe that God's highest and best purpose for our life is for us to be happy. Now, I'm not telling you God does not want you happy. I'm just telling you that's not his highest priority. And the problem is that based on circumstances, our circumstances may or may not make us happy, and circumstances change. But there's something greater than happiness, and that's this joy. Nice job, Christmas decorators. This joy that comes from a deep and abiding relationship with Christ. Your happiness is not God's highest priority for your life. Holiness is in your life is a higher priority to God than your happiness. Let me say that again. Holiness in your life is a higher priority to God than your happiness. God's highest calling for, for Jesus' followers is not, not our happiness, it's, it's holiness. He calls us to be set apart. Now, for Christians, when a theology of happiness takes root, you know, God wants me happy above all else, when that takes place, this theology of happiness empowers us to this, this sense of, of, of gratification and justification. You know, since God, since God wants me happy, you know, it's okay for me to do some things that otherwise would be unwise or unhealthy. You know, if God wants me happy, since um, I'm not happy in my marriage right now, that means I can walk out the door even though I'm in a covenant because I'm no longer happy if if um, if i 'm not happy because i don 't have this thing, that means I should you know because i 'm not happy, I should go ahead and even though i 'll have to go into massive debt to get the thing i 'm going to get it because God wants me happy, or you know um, you know i 'm dating, and I know that God says I should wait, we should wait until we 're married to enjoy this gift of love making that is intended for marriage. But it'll make me happier if I do it now, so I'm going to do it because it makes me happy. Happiness theology empowers you to justify something that, that otherwise you ought not to be doing. It's wrong or it's unwise. And when we believe and when Christians believe that above all else, God wants us happy, somehow discomfort and delay or risk or inconvenience can't possibly be God's will for us. So we begin to worship these false gods of comfort and money and pleasure and things. God's supposed to get me what I want. God's supposed to make me happy. And it's a terrible wrong conclusion to get to where we think that God exists to serve us and our happiness. That's just not right because we actually exist to serve him. And he calls us to be set apart. He calls us to be holy. That's what the word means holy when you see it here in this particular one it's it's a greek word hagios and it basically means set apart It means different it means pure god's calling us to be different be not conformed to this world but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind romans twelve two. so he's calling us to be set apart to be different now if you're different in the ways that you live you might be following christ But if you are no different from the rest of the the world, I promise you, you're not following Christ. If you're living exactly the way the world is, you're not following Christ. God calls us to be different. And Lisa and I have shared before um, with our little ones um, that we made it a, a habit from Ben's very first day of school, all the way through all of our kids, all the way through college, that we would pray either with them or for them every day as they went off to school. And it was very, very common for us to include in our prayers, Lord, let them be an influencer of people around them rather than being influenced by the world. And in fact, when parents come to us and say, hey, we'd like to dedicate our children, um, because in our church we teach that, it's not like infant baptism. We think, okay, this child has been given to me as a gift. It's a miracle. I need the help of the body of Christ to raise my child. So Lord, we, we want this child to be follow you with. It. So we bring them here. This is a common prayer for us. We'd say, Lord, help them be a, an influencer rather than being influenced by the world. This is a good thing to do. And so while we're teaching our children to follow Christ, um, we attempted, Lisa and I did, to train our children also to have the courage to be different from the world. So here's a parenting strategy for you parents and grandparents. Teach your children to follow Christ and give them the courage to be different. It's not the same, and they're both important. They they go together. How, How do we go about that? Well, okay, I'm going to give you an example, but first, before I give you this example, I want to kind of set a parameter because this particular topic is a little bit controversial, and I'm not trying to be controversial here. I'm just going to talk on one that is controversial. My purpose here is not to make some sort of a theological statement about Halloween, although I have one, um, but I'm just going to use this. It's a practical practical example of what I'm talking about, teaching our children to be different. So, um, by the way, this only works teaching your children to be different if you are actually different as parents, right? Cuz if you're not different and you're trying to get them to be different, they they'll go, "Huh? You're my example, I'm going to follow you, mom and dad." So, anyway, years ago, um, Lisa and I we got you know, like most parents you you have your your your, your first child and you're saying, "Okay, I got to do this right." You start studying things and trying things, and your first child, you know, they, <laughs> they get it compared to the other kids. You kind of relax a little bit. So we're, we're investing in this, and we're thinking, okay, we looked into Halloween a little bit more closely, and we, of course, understood some basic things, but we, the further we dug into it, we found it, had its, it has its roots in, in, in darkness. You can do the research yourself and see. Um, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with dressing your kids up like Scooby-Doo and begging for candy from house to house if that's your thing. Okay, it's just innocent fun. Go for it. No, I'm not saying about that. But, but, but we decided as a family we were going to be different. The Fisher clan's going to be a little different. So we are kind of different, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, it, but we decided we're not going to do the things necessarily that everybody else does just because they do it. Instead, and as Lisa and I thought about this, if we're going to kind of take this out of their, our children's lives... Which has apparent benefits in their eyes, we got to replace it with something that they'll say, "Oh, that's better." We don't miss this other thing. That was just our strategy. So, deciding that we didn't want our kids to participate um, too too deeply in the whole Halloween thing, um, it's common in, in in their schools for the classes to have on that day. The kids would all get dressed up and they'd do their thing. Fine, I don't, you know, it's fine, whatever. But not all the costumes were good. You know, you don't need a kid carrying a headless thing and carrying their head on the side with a knife. You know, that kind of stuff. We, there'd be things that just we didn't want them thinking about while they were sleeping, yeah. right? So we decided, okay, well, we'll just, just erase that whole risk exposure thing. And Lisa and I met with their teachers. And we said, hey, um, we're the fish. We, we knew their teachers anyway because we were pretty involved as, as parents um, checking in on our kids and so forth. But we just said, you know, we're, we're going to take our children out of class on that day and um, we're going to make it a family day because we'd rather our kids didn't involve. And by the way, when we had this discussion with our teachers, it was not at all judgmental or denigrating or talking down to them. We just said, hey, this is our family thing. We appreciate you. You're a great teacher. You're doing a wonderful job. This day, we want our children to be in a different environment. Then we'll come and gather and necessarily So, well, we don't do that much. That's fine. We understand. But we're going to do something different. And it's our family tradition. OK. So we would take our kids out of school for the day. And they knew they were coming out of school for the day. And uh, I think most of the years, at least at the beginning, we hopped, um, hopped in the car and took our kids north, and um, we went to the Pacific Science Center and um, Spaghetti Factory or whatever it was that we could do. We made it into a really special, fun family day. And um, our children did not miss the fact that there was candy passed out in school that day. They didn't miss it. And um, we taught them that we are different and that there are alternatives that are better than the world has to offer. That's just an example that we would do. Now, as they got older, just full disclosure, as one of the lead pastors at Living Water, a big church up north, we, the leadership up there at one point decided, you know what, we're gonna come up with an alternative to um, kids on the streets on Halloween. And so they, we did something huge up there. It's called the Pumpkin Patch Bash. And um, we gathered literally tons of candy, and we put on face painting, and we would rent St. Martin's Pavilion. It was, many people here were involved in that at the time. It was a lot of work, and it was born for love for children. Let's put them in a safer environment, ministry to our community. So it's not like we're against anything for Halloween. We don't feel that way. But for our family, we needed to be different than the culture in which they were growing up. So you follow me? It was an intentional thing. And um, so um, we, we, we wanted the children to see the value in an alternative and that the, 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 the alternative is better. So I say this to all parents. If you want to raise different kids at some point in your life, you need to be different. If you're no different than the world, how can you expect your children to see the value in following Christ? If you're no different than in how you live, how can you expect your children to have any tolerance for um, being set apart and different? God's calling us to be holy in all that we do, and that's gonna require us at times to be a little bit different. So Peter goes on. Now, I'm gonna jump into a different translation here because I love the way that the New Living translates this passage. First Peter four, 1, one 14. So you must live as God's obedient children, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. Don't slip back. Don't fall into trouble. Don't slip back. <laughs> this, you know, I hear occasionally someone will say to me, hey, I, you know, I, I, I tripped up and I slipped into this sin. I never hear anybody say, I was planning to sin, but all of a sudden I stumbled and slipped into this holiness. I, I, I had no, no plans for ending up as perfect as I am now. It was an accident, totally. <laughs> Nobody slips into holiness, right? <laughs> we don't. And it's just like, okay, I, I wasn't, I was so don't slip back, don't slip back in your old ways of living to satisfy. It, it doesn't happen that we slip into holiness. And part of the reason for that is we have an enemy. We do. And he wants you to slip up. Your enemy wants you to trip and to fall. You have an enemy who is subtle, he's sneaky, he's real. His name is the devil. He's also called the father of lies. He's the prince of darkness, and he's a liar. Plain and simple, he's a liar. His mission is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's sneaky, and he's subtle about how he does it. And he does the very same thing today that he did way back in the garden at the very beginning. If you remember that story, um, he, he, he says to the children of God, he says, did God really say you should not eat from the fruit of that tree? Did he really say that? And he lays this trap to deceive. And his traps are effective because the lies that he tells sound pretty good to us. Here are three um, progressive ways to become deceived about God's word. These are common. You might see these if you look around. The first one is, number one would be doubt God's word. Did God really say? The next step is to twist God's word. Well, I know that's what scripture says, but here's what God meant to be telling you with that. And people will twist it into all kinds of contortions and shapes. By the way, I don't play twister anymore because it just torques your back. Why would you do that with the word of God? Anyway, a third, a third way to become deceived about God's word is to actually replace it. And that's probably the most common. Here's a new word of God. Here's, here's a new idea. Here's a new book written by so-and-so that's more relevant than the Bible. And people have been slipping back because of all three ways, all the way going back to the slip up in the garden. And the roots of this, are, of all three steps, are hellish. They're absolutely hellish. I mean, there are examples in Scripture. The Pharisees had over 600 descriptions of what the law really was, how to go about it, and what you had to do to be holy. Over 600 rules. Try and keep them. Even Today, even entire denominations will amplify or add to God's word and say, this is what you have to do to keep God happy. And uh, most notable... One that comes to mind is an entire denomination that comes up with something that they would call a holy scripture and they would call it another testament of Jesus Christ. It isn't. And it's for lots of reasons, which I don't want to go down that road right now. That's how our enemy um, is going to attack us. Did God really say? It's one of the greatest deceiving questions um, of taking people away from holiness today. And it happens in the church. Did God really say fill in the blank? Did God really say I can't you know fill in the blank? You know, did God really say you're supposed to wait until you're married? Did He really say that? Did He really did He really even say we're supposed to go to church? Yeah, He said forsake now. Did He really say that I shouldn't listen to music if the lyrics are really evil and they pull my heart the wrong? I don't know. Whatever it is, and I don't want to get hung up on the example, but the question. And it will be asked in your soul, I promise you sometime this week. Did God really say? Because the temptations will come. And that's one of the most common ways it'll come. And um, there, another, one, another one that will say, and this is, I don't want to spend too much time on this. Well, you know, I know, but I do a lot better than a lot of other people. <laughs> okay. I'm, I mean, I'm better than a lot of those people. A lot of people isn't the standard, by the way. That's, you know, your parents... If a lot of people jumped off a cliff, would you? Okay, right? You know that one. Oh, my friends were jumping off the cliff, so I thought it'd be okay. God tells us as followers that we're to be different, to be set apart. So here are some questions, and you can write these down if you want or not, whatever. But like, if you had a small group, this would be a great. These would be great questions to talk about in a small group. Um, some questions that'll help you succeed figuring this out. Number one: What are the three areas where I struggle the most trying to fit in? Think about that one for a minute. At work, what, was, what is it that I do that kind of is compromising, but the goal is for me to just kind of blend in? What are the three, th- three areas of my life? Two, where, wh- when is the time that I put my happiness above God's call for holiness? Three, what are the biggest ways that I'm different than the world? Because if you're a following, follower of Jesus, there will be some areas that you're different. Number four, and this is actually the point of application for this message today. What is the area that God wants me to be different? Spirit's speaking to me. I kind of know. He's showing it to me. Where is it that he wants me to be different? And, um, And Scripture teaches... You know for we, we don 't come to church just to listen we come to, to we come to church hoping that the Spirit of God is going to speak to us ho- hoping that it's going to the spirit's going to convict us and show us some things and to lead us into all, all into all right uh, forms of righteousness so James talks about that in james one verse twenty two but be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourselves for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer he 's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at it himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Because when I look at the mirror, I see Terry, but the minute I walk away, I see Tom Cruise. (laughs) What are you laughing at? (laughs) For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing so the big question is, what's the biggest area that God wants me to be different, wants you to be different? You might ask the question, why does it even matter? I mean, as we read scripture here, we're going to see why. And um, so back to First Peter 1, starting in verse 18. Remember, Peter is writing to hurting, persecuted Christians. Verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. It wasn't with those things that you were set free. He says, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It was the sinless son of God who set you free. It was Jesus that pointed you to life. It was the risen son who forgave you your sins and made you new. Verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God. Through Christ you believe in God. It's through Christ that you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him and so your faith and your hope are in God. It's through Christ, it's through Christ. So we're wrapping up here, and I just want to say this. We have to understand that living holy is not the path to knowing Christ. Amen. That's right. Amen. Hear that? Amen. Okay. Living holy is not the path to knowing Christ. You catch me? Living holy is not the path to knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is the path to living holy. He didn't react right on that. <laughs> Knowing Christ is the path to living holy. Amen. <laughs> and suddenly we know Christ. It's not, it's not anymore like, well, I have to do that or I can't get to there. I wish I could, but I don't get to. Knowing Christ, instead, it's the heart inside that's getting that, that, that starts to change. Instead, it's, I don't want to do these things to displease the Lord. I don't have a desire to do that anymore. I don't care what everybody else thinks. I don't care if they laugh. I don't care if they criticize I don't care. I, I want a life that pleases the Lord. I mean, frankly, I'm living for an audience of one. You're looking at a guy who is always scared spitless to do what I'm doing right now. I am such an introvert. Services end, and I want to run in a cave. If there was one, can we build one somewhere for me? Because I want to go there. I don't want to step... I mean, I step into this because I know the Lord's called me to do it. And yet every... I have this fear that I'm just not gonna measure up to my audience, and you're not the audience. I preach for an audience of one. I walk away every Sunday going, oh man, did that please you, Lord? And I'm not some holy guy. I, I, you need to live for an audience of one, an audience of one. And the one isn't you, and it's not me, and it's not your spouse, and it's not the guy down the street, and it's not your boss. It's the Lord, your creator. He's your audience. He's the one that you want to please. Now listen, this is really key. Capture this. I'm not here talking about you modifying your exterior behavior. I'm not here to tell you, stop doing this, start doing that. That's not what this is about today. This is about an inward spiritual transformation that's only the work of the Spirit of the living God. You know, it's not, hey, look, I don't say that word anymore. When the mouse runs over the feet, word, I don't say it. It's not that. It's that something's happened to my heart on the inside. And um, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I got a new heart, so something different comes out of my mouth. And it's not that I'm trying real hard to be holy. It's not, instead, it's the fruit of the Spirit. As I let something grow in me that's healthy, fruit starts to come out. And the truth is, what you and I would call holiness, I, the way Terry sees this, this I, don't, I probably should make a biblical case for this, but the way Terry sees holiness is that tomorrow I'll be more like Christ than I was today. That's enough. That's so pleasing to God. You become more like his son tomorrow than you were today. Don't worry about yesterday. Consider about where the Lord wants you to be tomorrow and let him shape you into into his likeness. And that's my prayer that, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to do in your heart and in your soul what no person can do, including you. And that's let the Holy Spirit show us the areas of our life where the Holy Spirit is going to want to shape you like so much clay. In more and more into the shape of his son Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that there is no